like to say thanks to Mike for filling in for Bart today. Bart's at his home church preaching today, so we need to pray for Bart. He was extremely nervous. Uh, he said he's not much to like to preach, but they asked him to come back home and preach. And so thank you to Mike. Mike, real, I'm going to tell you, he really had to, it's kind of last minute because David Harrison was supposed to lead our music in the service today, and he had a death in the family on Friday. And so he had to take off. And so thank you, Mike. I really do appreciate all that Mike does on our church staff. I kind of think of him like the Swiss Army knife of ministers. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. And so he's really a blessing uh, to us here. Matthew chapter 5, if you got a Bible. If you don't, look in front of that chair back in front of you and that little basket and you can find one. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be in verse 4 today. You know, sometimes when we read Scripture, uh, we can come across passages of Scripture that seem almost backwards, almost like contradictory, um, illogical. I think about places where we find that it says, the last shall be first. Um, to give is to receive. Uh, dying is living. Um, losing is finding. Uh, to serve is to rule. You know, the first shall be last. The poor shall be rich. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and when we come to the Beatitudes, as we've been studying, we see a whole series of verses that seem to turn common sense upside down. Uh, things like what we studied last week, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, now, who wants to be poor in spirit? Most would rather think of themselves as rich or good people. Uh, or, or think about what it says and when it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. You know, most would say, I'd rather avoid persecution. I'd rather run far away from it. I don't want to be near it. Or blessed are the merciful. Uh, we might think, well, how is that a blessing to be merciful? The merciful seem to be the ones that get walked on, they get stepped on. And that's especially the case when we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, where it said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I mean, just hearing that phrase, blessed are those who mourn, to the average lost person might seem absurd. It might seem morbid. I mean, why would God consider it a blessing to mourn? Uh, how, could, how could it be that that is comforting to walk through mourning? I mean, we've all gone through seasons of life where um, season, those seasons of mourning and of pain. And, and you know how you, we always, there's always the people that they come up and they, they say things to us to try to comfort us. And, and, you know, they, they throw these little comforting phrases out. Things like, you know, God's going to make it okay. You know, they're in a better place now. Um, you, you'll, see, you'll see the good in this down the road. Um, maybe this is for the best. And, and things like that. And, and, and those things, we, we all know those people have good intentions. And I not, would not be accusing them of, of being harsh. And, and we all know that those things are technically true. But those phrases don't usually bring a lot of comfort, do they? Uh, they usually just make us think, it makes us question, why? But then we come to, blessed are those who mourn. And we think that, that just seems even, even more confusing. You know, oftentimes when we read this passage, our first thought is to think of physical loss. is to think of mourning physical loss, the death of a loved one. And, and when death does visit, we wonder how in the world... Are we going to walk through this? How in the world are, are, are we going to be comforted here? How could this be a blessing, God? How in the midst of all this pain, in the midst of all this heartache that I'm walking through, could you turn this into anything else? But you know that even Jesus mourned loss. 
I think about John chapter eleven thirty five, where we read that Jesus wept. Now, now, why was Jesus weeping in that situation? The death of Lazarus, a friend. And as he saw Mary and he saw Martha, his friends, who were mourning and who were broken over the death of their brother, he joined in with them in their weeping. He identified with them. He, he, he was right there with them, even knowing that he was about to bring Lazarus back from the grave. He still mourned with them. And so we do find comfort in Christ in times of loss and death. We find comfort in the hope of heaven. We find comfort in God's will. We find comfort in the ability of God to heal our broken hearts, even when it seems like they're broken into so many pieces. How could God put this back together? You know, we read of that final comfort. In, in Revelation chapter 21, where it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be the, with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Comfort. Comfort. And so that comfort is fact. That when we walk through mourning, we have a Lord who comforts us. But you know, as I prayed through and I thought through this passage, what I really felt convicted by was that maybe that wasn't the first thing that Jesus was thinking of when he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That while this passage applies to physical loss, I think what Jesus had on his mind first when he stood there in that crowd and said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think it was a spiritual loss. I think Jesus here is actually speaking about a mourning over sin. A mourning, a brokenness, a grief over sin in our lives and the consequence of sin in our lives. Now here's why I think that. Um, you remember last week how I said that the Beatitudes function in sort of a progression, that they fit together piece by piece, and one builds off of the, pre the, the number one build, leads to number two, which then builds to number three and number four, and so on and so forth. Now, if you remember last week, what, what did we look at? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? And, and we said that that passage is talking about the fact that we must come to the point of realizing that we are spiritually bankrupt, that I cannot save myself. And so let's think about this. First, it begins with being poor in spirit to realize one's brokenness. Next, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the mourn. To mourn sin comes next. To see not only that I can't save myself, but my life is full of sin, and I need to be broken of that and mourn that sin. That then leads to repentance, which leads to the next thing, meekness. The desire to live for God and to trust 
God, have a faith in God, which then leads to a hunger for righteousness. Verse 6, which then leads to a desire to be merciful, to imitate the life of Christ. And so I, I hope that you can see, if you were to read these, how they go one to the next, to the next, to the next, of a person coming to salvation and then beginning to walk with Jesus and to walk like Jesus. And as I read this passage, I, I couldn't help but think of Isaiah chapter 61. Turning to the Bible over Isaiah 61, I think... I mean, we can't really know what was exactly on Jesus' mind when he said these things. But I can't help but think that maybe he was alluding to Isaiah chapter 61 when he was giving the Beatitudes. Especially these first two. Isaiah 61 starting in verse 1. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Poor in spirit. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and, to, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our, of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now over in the Gospels, Luke chapter 4 verse 18, it says that Jesus stood up in a synagogue one day and he unrolls this scroll of Isaiah chapter 61 and he reads that scroll and he sits down and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so he was saying, I am the one that Isaiah was prophesying about. I am the one of Isaiah 61. I am the one who came to fulfill this mission. Now what was the mission? To comfort the morning. And what was the mourning of Isaiah chapter 61? A brokenheartedness over sin. That these who saw their sinfulness would come to repentance and God would declare them oaks of righteousness. That there would be a forgiveness of sin and that these individuals would begin to walk in righteousness. And so really, if you think about this, this first, that first beatitude we studied last week is really mental to come to the point of realizing I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm poor in spirit. And this second one is emotional to be broken over our sin, to mourn our sin. Now, the sad truth is that many, maybe even most today, don't mourn sin. They celebrate sin. They praise sin. In Romans chapter 1, Paul warned that this was going to take place, and he, he draws the conclusion in Romans 1.32. He says this, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, sinful things, deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And so he was saying there was going to come a day, and there already was a day, where people would praise sin, and they would pat each other on the back and say, look how great we are. We're so accepting, and you can just do whatever you want to do. It's okay. You know, instead of mourning sin, 
Our world laughs at sin. We find entertainment in sin. And the sad truth is that much of the church has been drugged right along with it. You know, I shudder to think of how many times I've sat watching TV and found entertainment in what was downright sinful. It breaks my heart. I, I, how many times that, that I laughed at what was vulgar? How many times that I, I downplayed the seriousness of what was something that was purely immoral? How quickly I was to excuse something that was inappropriate? You see, the truth is, is that Satan wants us to laugh when we should be mourning. Because when we're laughing, we don't deal with sin appropriately, and instead we tolerate it. We excuse it. You know, that was the problem over in, in the Corinthian church. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, he says, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant or proud. Ought you not to rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And so the Corinthian church was looking at themselves and patting themselves on the back and saying, look how loving and accepting we are. We just overlook this sin over here. Shouldn't we just be so proud of ourselves? We're so accommodating. We're so tolerant. And Paul said, you should be mourning instead of celebrating. You know, our call to Christ-likeness requires that we mourn sin. It calls us to be broken over sin, both our sin and the sin of others. But to, be, to get there, we first have to be willing to call it what it is, sin. To declare that what God's Word says is sin is actually truthfully, honestly, unbudgingly sin. You know, most people don't, we don't want to call ourselves sinner. No one wants to say, I'm a sinner. Instead, we, we, like to, we like to say that those sins are just mistakes. I like to change the name. Say, so what's a mistake? A mistake's a goof up, goof up. It's an error. It's a miscalculation. You might regret it. You might try to make up for it. But you don't mourn a mistake. You mourn sin. You mourn that fundamental flaw in your character that causes you to do what breaks God's will even when you don't necessarily want to. Uh, you know, we're made to be generous, but yet we tend towards selfishness. We're made, we're called to live by truth, but we tend toward lying. Uh, we're made to, to protect and to treasure our sexuality, but yet we live in a culture that trashes it. We're wired to worship the God of heaven, but yet we worship cars and sports and possessions and, and things. And if we don't call it mistakes, then we just throw another name at it. We say it's, it's bad habits. Oh, that's just a character weakness. It's just a lifestyle choice. And as the truth is, as I've heard someone say before, we're not mistakers, we're sinners. We're sinners. And we have to be willing to call it what it is without exception and to refuse to rationalize it, to refuse to trivialize it, to refuse to excuse it. This past week I was doing something and I happened to stumble across this blog of a... Uh, of a girl who's a Christian writer, and she's kind of up and coming, um, so I found out. 
And uh, what caught me was that she made this statement. She said, uh, she said, I love Jesus and I cuss a little. I love Jesus and I drink alcohol. I love Jesus and this and this and this. And she went on to try to make the case that she was, that she was um, accepting, that she was loving, that she would love like Jesus loved. Um, and my, my point is not that as Christians, that it's not that we don't fail, but my fear is that we're proud of the fact that we fail. That we say, look at me. I'm a failure and I don't seem to care. And I asked Kim about the, the author. I said, hey, have you ever heard of this? And she said, oh, yeah, I've heard of her. She said, several people have told me they've read her book and they talk about how great it is. And I think of what a danger to the church. When we parade people who excuse sin and who say, you know what, it's okay. Just be accepting of who you are. Don't try to change. No, the Bible says blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are broken over their sin. And the Bible also says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we ought to be broken. You see, an unconfessed sin brings tragic outcome. For the lost person, unconfessed sin condemns them to hell. That is real. And for the saved person, unconfessed sin breaks our fellowship with God, breaks our closeness with God. Kent Hughes, who's a pastor and author that I love, he said, there's one thing worse than sin. That's the denial of sin, which makes forgiveness impossible. The denial of sin, which makes forgiveness impossible. You see, the truth is, is that you will never genuinely seek forgiveness for that which you don't mourn, for that which you were not broken over. The, 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 you'll never... You'll never feel the need to be forgiven for that which doesn't break your heart. But in calling it what it is and realizing the seriousness of sin, we ought to be broken over it because we have sinned against God. Because we have broken His righteous commands. And so we ought to mourn sin. In that mourning, there ought to be a contrition. There ought to be a, a, a brokenness, a sadness in our heart. Because here's the thing. Here's a question for you. If, if, there's no, if there's no genuine brokenness over sin, if there's no mourning, if there's no, if there's no grief over, this, over sin, are we really repenting of it? Or are we just sad we got caught? If there's no remorse in our repentance, are we really turning away from it? Or are we just sad we got caught? We've all seen this in, in action, right? We've all seen, maybe, maybe we were that kid, and we've all seen kids that do this. They, they get in trouble for something, and they, they, they say, I'm sorry, Dad, I shouldn't have done this, da 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 And then what do they do? They walk away and do the same thing again. And when they do that, they reveal that they really weren't sorry that they did what they did. They were sorry that you saw them do what they did. And that they really weren't sad about it. They really weren't turning away from it. Their sorriness was, was really pretty empty. They just regretted the fact that they got caught. And so I, I wonder how often is that how we are? That we mourn and we, and we confess sin, but we're not really broken over it. And we're not really ready to turn away from it. We're just sad that it got exposed. But we're not really ready to change. Mourning over sin involves more than just feeling sorry. 
that we got caught doing something. It's genuinely being sick of sin in our lives. It's not saying I love Jesus and I cuss a little. Let me tell you about it. But it's saying I love Jesus and I cuss a little and I'm broken over it. And I don't want to be that person. Flipping your Bibles to James chapter 4. James has some powerful things to say here. James chapter 4, starting in verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now that's a promise, ain't it? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, Draw near to God... And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now verse 9 is what I really want us to see. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Mourning, gloom, brokenness, weeping. And when we do so, and we turn to God, I believe that's genuine repentance. When we are broken over our sin and we say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore because I want my life to be a reflection of you and not a reflection of my sinful self. And so, God, I'm turning from that. I believe that that mourning leads to genuine repentance. And then we come to verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10, where it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. That when we humble ourselves before God and we are broken and we mourn our sin and we come to Him seeking forgiveness, what does God do in return? Lifts us up. He lifts our head. And so genuine mourning over sin brings Repentance, which is the only thing that can bring comfort, that comfort that Jesus is speaking of. But, but we best remember this right here and right now. We best remember that, that brokenness, that mourning is not an act of willpower. In other words, we can't make ourselves feel mournful. We can't make it. It's not like we suddenly say, okay, I need to be remorseful today. Hmm. No, repentance isn't doing something at all. Instead, it's seeing God's holiness and calling out to Him and saying, I can't do anything about my sin. I can't fix myself, God. I need you to fix me. And so my point today is I'm not telling you to do anything as much as I'm telling you to recognize your sinfulness and to contrast that against God's holiness And to say, is that who we want to be? I'm broken over my sin. Turn to Romans chapter 7. I'm I'm sorry we're doing a bunch of Bible drill today. There's something that Paul says in Romans 7 that I think is, is powerful for us in this idea and this thought today. Romans chapter 7 verse 15.
I want us to see that this, this is not just a message for lost people today. This is a message for the saved today. That we can never grow comfortable where we are, but we must constantly pursue righteousness. That as we mourn our sin, we pursue righteousness. In verse 15, chapter 7, verse 15, it says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 19, look down there. It says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You ever feel like that? Honestly, genuinely, do you ever feel like that? Like, you know, like, God, I want to live for you, but, man, I just keep slipping up. I keep sinning. I keep falling right back into the trap of sin. I keep falling into that same trap that the devil keeps setting out for me. It's, it, you know, there's some point of weakness in our lives, and the devil just seems to attack that point over and over and over and over again. Look in verse 22. Paul writes, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's the good news. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God that Paul here was mourning his sin. He was a lover of the law, but yet he kept choosing sin. And he said, who's going to deliver me from that sin? Thanks be to God in the power of Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross. I can be delivered from sin. What's he say in Romans chapter 8? Skip down to Romans 8 verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so what the law could not do, what we could not do on our own, God did through Jesus Christ. That's comfort. That's comfort. That's not just a pat on the back. That's eternal comfort. The truth is, is that there is no comfort apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings comfort to the lost, giving eternal life to the soul that was condemned to hell, giving forgiveness of sin to the, to the soul who could not do anything for their own forgiveness. And so you, if you were here today and you were lost, you can have the forgiveness of sin. Jesus promised it. Jesus died for it. If only you'll turn to him in repentance. But you know, it's also the gospel of Jesus Christ that offers comfort to the Christian, reminding us that we are not saved on our own effort. But instead, we continually walk in the work of Jesus, that his grace abounds. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that comforts us by reminding us that God walks with us every single day. Do you realize that when Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 26, what's he called the Holy Spirit? The Comforter. Same word. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And what's he say the Holy Spirit is? Who does he say the Holy Spirit is? The comforter. 
that as we mourn our sin and we turn to him, it's the Holy Spirit who comforts us. And ultimately, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that offers us the comfort that this world is not all there is. And that though we may lose loved ones, that we will be reunited with those who love Jesus in an eternal comfort of heaven. Just like it said in that passage we started with today, that there will come a day when God will make earth new and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning. No mourning of sin nor mourning of loss nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Have you experienced that comfort today? Would you pray with me? Oh God, we come here today as a people who are broken over sin. I stand here today as a pastor who is broken over his own sin. That even as a, as a born-again believer, I still find myself many times falling right back into the trap. I don't do the things I want to do, but instead I do that which I hate. God, I stand here today broken over my failures. And then I stand here with my brothers and sisters in Christ who I, who I pray are broken as well. Who come here today mourning our sin. And God, we seek the comfort of your forgiveness. So Father, today I pray for those who are believers that we would examine our lives and that we would say, we're not going to toy with sin anymore. That what the Word of God says we should do, we will do. And that what the Word of God says we should not do, we will not do. But instead, we will walk in faithfulness with you, pursuing righteousness, and holiness, and love, and peace. Father, I pray for the soul here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they would realize the fact that they cannot save themselves, that they cannot earn eternal life on their own, of their own doing, that no amount of good works can undo the guilt of sin in their life. And I pray that they would mourn their sin, they would understand that they have broken your heart, violated your laws, profaned your name, pray the day that they would turn to you seeking forgiveness. The good news is it's a forgiveness that you will not deny them, but you offer freely by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, I pray that if there are those who need to make salvation decisions today, that they would have the boldness to step out of that aisle and to come down here today during this time of invitation so that we can share with them the good news of Jesus and they can have eternal life. And God, I pray that if there are believers that need to make decisions today, 
need to confess things. Maybe there's a believer here who needs to says they want to join this church and be a part of what we're doing here to reach this world for your kingdom. I pray that you would give them the confidence in their decision. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?